Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. We always refer to our universe of value-based care as the world of the four Ps, patients, providers, plans, and payers. Although each of the Ps sees themselves as being at the center of the four Ps, few would argue that the patient does not really belong at that center. Today, we are continuing in a series devoted to the patient. Our guest today is Melody Noreen Blackwell, a passionate healthcare advocate, educator, mobilizer, and founder of a COCCI, Color of Crohn's and Chronic Illness. It's a nonprofit dedicated to health equity and the black and brown communities that are challenged with digestive diseases and chronic illnesses. She has an interesting health story, which she is going to tell you about. Her personal mission, though, is to support the development of tools and opportunities to prevent anyone from ever having to endure the journey that was set out before her. A black and Indian woman entrepreneur, she's been sharing her health journey since 2013 with an engaged and committed community. She has supported research to find opportunities for others who were suffering with health challenges. Having followed an unconventional path from patient to patient leader, Melody is a trailblazer who has been featured in Everyday Health, Guide to Living with IBD, Healthline, BlackDoctor.org, and more. She's participated in numerous podcasts, interviews, and panels, and hosted events spreading the importance of health equity and educating on the barriers to inclusion. She graduated from Berkeley College in Manhattan with an applied science degree in fashion, marketing, and management, but also has a BA in business administration. She's currently pursuing a master's in health education and behavior. She lives in Washington, metropolitan area with her husband and two children. Welcome to the show today, Melody. Thank you so much, Dr. Kaczynski, for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure and our honor. We have much to talk about, so I want to start with what I led to in the intro. I want the listeners to hear your personal story. It's a unique one. So let's start by asking you to tell the story. The listeners are going to want to hear your your personal experience with the healthcare delivery system and how this stimulated your passions and molded your career. You're on. Absolutely. I really love sharing my story and I love sharing it because it is definitely unconventional, but it's also a story that challenges what society perceives are the the reasons for access barriers. And we know that by my story, those thoughts are not always true. I started having digestive issues around the age of five or six years old. And I I remember this vividly because I would take my Etch-A-Sketch, a Cabbage Patch Kid and a doll of some sort into the restroom with me in the bathroom. And while I was in there, I knew I would be there for long periods of time. That's why I started managing as a little child would and say, oh, let me take these things with me because I'm going to need something to do while I'm in there. And I remember the frequent knocks on the door. Are you okay in there? Is everything okay? And to me, I was okay. I was just really waiting to use the bathroom, right? So nothing's wrong. I don't think anything's wrong. It's just, I'm going to have to use the bathroom. I have stomach pains and I'm just going to use the bathroom. And as I got older, the stomach aches persist and they came a little bit more challenging. And I thought it was because of food or diet, because that's what my family thought. Oh, she ate sugar or she ate this. And this is triggering this kind of pain until around 12 or 13 years old when I started having rectal bleeding. And when I started having the rectal bleeding, I was 
still having stomach pains, long periods of bathroom use, which I didn't think that there was any problem with that because from when five or six years old, I, this was just me thinking that this is the method for my body. I don't know to think any differently about that. Once the rectal bleeding happened and I shared it with my mother, she took me to a gastro. I had a flex sigmoidoscopy a week with my mom in the room. My mom almost passed out in there because she was a little traumatized and I was completely traumatized about, about that procedure at that age. And she had shared with my doctor what was going on with my stomach challenges. And she had shared that uh, there would be nights that I would be sleeping in the tub in the bathroom. And his response was that after doing that procedure, I had internal hemorrhoids and I just needed to add more fiber to my diet, drink Metamucil or Citrusel. And that's how we managed it for a long time. Even with going to other physicians through the years, the bleeding never went away. It would come back intermittently. So I never just had this period where I completely stopped bleeding. And I always would go back to the recollection of this event, this procedure I had. And what the physician said, your daughter needs more fiber. And lucky for me, I am multi-ethnic. So there were times that I would succumb more to natural diets because that is what the Indian side of my family had exposed me to. My grandmother had a garden. So we would just, I would go vegan or I would stop eating certain things because I would manage it through just my diet thinking that, okay, if I manage it through my diet, I'm taking this Pepto-Bismol, I'm taking Metamucil, I'm doing these things that doctors have told me to do. And I continue to tell my primary care physicians through the years, like, oh yeah, I have these stomach pains. They cause me to sleep in the bathtub sometimes so that I can cool my body off. My body feels hot. They're debilitating at times. I can't walk and my stomach feels like it's twisting or it's being wrung out in knots. And they, I would tell them, but I have internal hemorrhoids and no one ever challenged that. <laughs> they never said that doesn't make sense. That's you. That Why are you connecting your in, uh, internal hemorrhoids to these stomach pains that are causing debilitations or immobility and thinking that that's what is the result? No one questioned or, chan or challenged me. And why would I think any differently? If that's what one physician said to me as a child, and this is what physicians are saying to me as an adult, then it has to be correct, right? Because I'm a patient and the world of Google and, and internet was not as accessible to look for these things. And I, I really wouldn't go there to search that at college age or young adult age. It just you didn't know wasn't. You didn't know otherwise. You didn't, no. you didn't know that you should be looking no. for other information. No, and my mom... I tell her all the time because she sometimes she feels a little guilty that she didn't know how to navigate me through this. And I tell her all the time, you did the best you could do. You did the very best. You took me to the source that you thought would give us yes. more resources. And they did. They gave me Pepto-Bismol and Metamucil. And I navigated that for some years throughout adulthood, even in college. And I wish I had known in college that I actually had a disease because I could have had accommodations for disability. Sure. I could have understood that it wasn't me. Uh, I would have these days of not eating because I wasn't sure what was happening. Still no connection to a disease. I got older, got pregnant. I had a son. And throughout my pregnancy, I started dealing with some really crazy EIN. 
that I now know are EIMs, extraintestinal manifestations. And one of the symptoms that never went away after pregnancy was random bouts of swelling. And I would have it in my face, in my lips, in my ankles and my knees. And that went on for a few years. And again, I said, I'm going to challenge myself to become vegan again. And I did for six months, things went away. And then all of a sudden they all came back with a vengeance. And I would go to the to doc- to doctors or emergency room. They would tell me, you have an allergy. And I would say, I don't. They would say, okay, she has an allergy, give her Benadryl. Then they, I'd wake up and they'd say, you don't have an allergy. There's something else wrong. You, there may be something autoimmune. Let us give you a steroid. And I went through that cycle and I went to a rheumatologist telling me that, well, you probably have lupus. Let's test you for lupus, 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 lupus. No answers there. Then I went to a physician who told me that I needed to just keep squeezing my lip. And that would help circulation. My poor mother, she would call me every morning. Did you squeeze your lip today? And I would say, mom, I love you. You are so amazing. Please stop asking me that. It is not about me squeezing my lip. There's something else going on. So you're, you're in your twenties now, but I'm in my thirties now. I'm like 33 years old at this time with the lip squeezing. Yes. So this is now I'm going through this whole cycle of all these weird things happening to me. And I'm 33, I would say 33, I think. Yes, because I was properly diagnosed around 36. Actually, I was diagnosed at 36. So I'm going through having all these challenges and I'm a new mom and I'm trying to manage all of these things going on with me. I'm driving to work every day as I'm dealing with postpartum thinking I'm going to die and not return to my baby because my body is literally going haywire. Two years later, I get to a place where I'm bleeding nonstop. I just nonstop. One week of bleeding off for five weeks two weeks of bleeding off for three weeks. Like it was intermittent like that for since I was probably 13 years old. This time it would not stop. It was four months of bleeding and I was 35. So you're now 20 years since you're flex sick. Yes. Okay. And nobody's done a scope in the 20 years. No. (laughs) All right, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm at this point where... I am now uh, bleeding for four months. And I said, Melody, you have cancer because that's the only thing I could have, right? Colon cancer. We talk so much about black and brown people having colon cancer and the inequities and the disparity in colon cancer, but we don't give them information on how there are other paths to colon cancer, like uh, IBD, (laughs) you know, uh, maybe I should know about that prior to colon cancer, because I could see where there could be uh, factors from familial situations or other connections to this disease. But no, I just know cancer. So I'm like, I have colon cancer, and I'm going to find a colorectal surgeon. And I'm going to have him help me because it's affecting my body in so many spaces. Now, not only am I bleeding um, nonstop for four months, every time I use the bathroom, I'm shaking. And I feel like Edward Scissorhand is now taking up residence in my colon. Like he lives there. He's cutting up the lawn. He's cutting up the colon. I'm bleeding, filling up the bowl, uh, toilet bowl every single time I use the bathroom, like filling it up. And I have to stuff gauze in my rectum. It was bad. It was really bad. And I'm shaking and sweating profusely every time. And my mobility started to be impacted. And then I started having these abscesses and they were just popping up around the clock outside of my rectum. And I was in a lot of pain. So I said, okay, you have colon cancer. You're not going to tell the doctor that you have colon cancer. You're just going to tell them you have an infection. You think you have an infection. And I go in, go to this surgeon. I've looked him up. I know that he's great. By the way, I live in the Washington DC metropolitan area. I have access to excellent physicians. So it is not an access issue. I want to make sure I say and, and that. You had, and you had insurance to, during this time. I have amazing insurance. All right. So time. that wasn't an issue. 
nope, nope, not an insurance issue. I didn't need any pre-auth to go to this physician. I didn't need a referral. Right. I found him. He He's great. He's in a very fluent neighborhood. It's where you would think that great doctors reside. So I go to this physician after I talk to myself in the car, I tell him what's going on, uh, uh, headaches, mental fog, mobility issues, around the clock bleeding that hasn't stopped, uh, abscesses that are now populating, headaches, eye, a little bit of eye issues. And yeah. I'm explaining that I have had stomach pain since I was a kid, you know, just giving him a breath of understanding. And he says, okay, another thing I'm often asked is, were you able to properly convey your symptoms and what your challenges were? And I say, you tell me if you think I'm properly able to convey my story to my physician. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell him, he says, okay, I'm going to do a rectal exam. He does an exam and he says, I don't see anything. And I was, he said, I see a little scarring maybe from abscesses, but I don't see anything. And I'm so baffled, Dr. Larry, because I'm bleeding all day. I'm in pain. Edward So, so he, didn't, he, did, he didn't recommend a colonoscopy? No, what he said was, I'll do some blood work and let's see where we go ah, from here. Ah. So he did the blood work. Three weeks later, I hadn't heard from this doctor's office. Oh. And I get up and I'm having this weird fog. I feel like I'm being pounded in the head. My eyes are very heavy, but I still commence to drive to work. I get to work and I am going from hot to cold every 15 minutes, like clockwork. I'm sweating and then I'm shivering, teeth shattering, shivering. And I said, my, my boss at the time, he goes, kid, there's something wrong with you. And I said, you're right. And I try to laugh it off, but I knew this felt like an emergency. Yeah. And I call the doctor's office and I left a message, but I, I go to leave work and I ended up in the emergency room yeah. and there, I have a weird cough, which I I've named my Crohn's cough. I had this weird cough and they're doing all these x-rays and I have a temperature of 102.3. Ah. So they're trying to figure out, they're like, there's something wrong, but we don't sick. see it. Yes. 102.3. And I was deteriorating because by the time I got to the emergency room, I couldn't even walk to the back room. They had to wheel me back there. So I was declining quite quickly. And I say to this, this nurse practitioner, I said, I know this is going to sound rather odd, but could you please do a rectal exam? I know like with everything that I'm displaying, it probably doesn't seem like logical, but if, if you could just indulge me and she's like, okay, like weird request, but okay. So a patient who like, actually asks for a rectal <laughs> yes, exam. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. That's odd. Uh, yeah. So she goes to do the rectal exam and she goes, Wow. Okay, I don't know how to tell you this, but it looks like every vein leading to your anus has exploded. I said, yeah, I kind of figured that. And she says, there's a very large abscess that's growing right at the entrance. I said, yeah, um, I can feel it. That's why you see me leaning to the side. I can I can tell. Uh, she says, you're going to need to talk to your physician. By this time, I had spoken to the physician maybe a few hours prior, and he says, um, Someone should have called you, but we didn't see much on your blood work. That's that may have been why you didn't. Somebody should have called. Someone should have called. And I'm sorry about that. I said, well, I'm not well. I'm not feeling well. And I really believe this has something to do with my rectum. So now I'm in the ER. They're saying these things. You need to get to your doctor. Call them back. This is a Tuesday. They get me out on Friday. That day, temperature 102.3. The next day, 103.8. I'm and you're not, not a, you're not on any antibiotics coming out of the emergency. They did give me CPRO. So they okay. Did so they did give me antibiotics. Yes, yeah. because she was really scared. Yeah. This lady, yeah. and I you said it's okay. It. I mean, what could she do? You know, I yeah. like, right. I, and I'm a person that I handle things very 
patiently with the lens of what's next, as opposed to, I don't go into panic mode. I'm just like, I knew this. Okay. So let me just figure it out. So 102.3 on Tuesday, 103.8 on Wednesday, 104.3 on Thursday. And I'm just laying in the bed sweating. I probably lost seven pounds between those three or four days. I get to the physician on Friday and he goes to do the exam and it feels, it's like the size of a golf ball. I touch, I could feel it and I can't sit. He goes to do the exam and bam, it bursts right there. And he goes, you're right. You have an infection. We have to get you into surgery. And that happened in June of 2018. And that began the actual pathway for me to get to diagnosis. I ended up having two surgeries and eight fistula and eight cetons before I was actually diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Wow. So you're on therapy now and you're, you're much better. Much better. Yes. Yes. But those days were really challenging, Dr. Larry. I'm telling you, I had a three-year-old son and every day I chose joy because I had to, I wanted him to understand that mommy may not be able to run and, and do these things with you at this time, but I'm so present. So even in my own challenges of navigating this disease, I got laid off from my job during that time. And I started losing my hair. I had definitely lost mobility at a rapid pace from uh, July of 2018 to October 2018. I could barely walk. I, I was crawling after October when I got diagnosed, October 2018. I was scooting and crawling and my husband was helping me. And I had these drains and I was taking four or five baths a day. And I was eating um, very little because as soon as I ate, it came through my body like a straw. I lost 35 pounds in six wow. weeks. I was wearing diapers. Um, it was a definitely a different life. Melody, that, Melody that, that story is painful to even listen to. I, I let you tell the whole story because the details as they were coming out, I kept thinking, okay, somebody's going to get her to care. Somebody's going to get her to care. Yes. And then realize that it's 20 years. 20 oh my years, gosh. 20 plus years to diagnosis. I, uh, I have to take a little break here. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Melody Noreen Blackwell, founder of COCCI, Color of Crohn's and Chronic Illness, which is my next question to you. So after that, enduring that presentation of your illness, you founded COCCI. Tell us about this uh, organization you started Tell us why you did it. What are your goals for it? I have always viewed life as lemonade. You know, people say you take lemons and you make lemonade. I just think that lemonade is so good. And I feel like Kochi, C-O-C-C-I, we call Kochi. I feel like we just diversified our lemonade offerings when (laughs) God allowed me (laughs) to do this. What I didn't share was that as I was navigating disease, I was also coaching other entrepreneurs uh, because that's kind of the breadth of life that I was afforded through my family on my Indian side. They were entrepreneurs. So I was coaching others. I had a bar at a sports bar at that time as well. So working for a full-time company, full-time, but also working for my own self. And I felt like I had to continue to show all of these things that were going on with me health-wise, because I always preached that health before wealth. You cannot be wealthy if you're not healthy. That's the first pillar of wealth is your own personal health. You are the most amazing asset to your life. You are, you are humanity. So, you know, I, I always talked about that and 
in that vein, I made sure that I put myself on display. So all of these things that were happening to me from not being able to walk, to losing my hair, to weight loss, to my, to my chronic eye infections, mouth ulcers, I was putting it right in the in front lines. And once I did get diagnosed, I shared that and it opened up. How did you share that? So I'm trying to get how you made the transition to this company. I, so I was sharing just like the components of what happened. So once I got diagnosed, I got on a live and I said, everyone, guess what? We finally have an answer. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and it was like a story on Instagram. I think I did a post on Facebook, maybe So social media, you use social media to get it started. Yes. I use social media to share that. And I thought I was just kind of just doing like a plug and play, like letting people know because they've been following my journey, asking me questions and giving me so much support. I said, well, now they can have an answer. They'll understand. And I, and I let them know I had a disease and it opened up a floodgate of DMs, direct messages. People were asking me questions. They were telling me they were the first person to ever be diagnosed who was black. They were telling me that they were the only black person to be diagnosed with a disease. And it was confusing and a little jarring. Some of these things that were shared with me, because I'm thinking, how do people think that? Why would they think that in 2018, that they're the first black person to be diagnosed or the only, because I had known other people with Crohn's disease, Uh, not a lot, but my aunt actually had Crohn's disease. She, she's managed for years. I have a cousin that has Crohn's disease, which I didn't know she had Crohn's disease then, but I knew my aunt did. And we, and we knew a couple of friends that had the disease, but I started to look around and I said, wow, okay, this is why they think this. This is why people are thinking that they're the only person of color with the disease because none of the education pointed that way. None of the marketing pointed that way. None of the materials pointed to it being a disease that affected diverse communities. When you looked it up at that time, it was mainly pointing to Jewish families, the data, the research. No one was even pulling up black and brown communities to say, hey, let's understand your phenotype. Let's understand if this is something that impacts you or your family. There's no genomics. There was just nothing. It was like a wide open gaping hole. And it made sense. From there, I prayed and I was led to calling this color Crohn's and chronic illness. I never knew what that was going to be, but I said, well, I like marketing. I like advertising. This name sounds good. It feels good. I I was dropped into my spirit. I'm just going to create a Facebook group. And once those stories were shared in that Facebook group, where I thought I was just helping other people find themselves in a community, once they were shared, I had no other choice but to move, to learn advocacy. I laugh and every, almost every call that I get in when I talk about, get on when I talk about advocacy, I say the only policy I knew was the Nordstrom return policy because it was my favorite (laughs) department store. I had to understand access issues. I had to understand what non-medical switching was, what fail first step therapy meant, what pre-auth was, uh, what health equity and affordability act was. I had to learn these things because policy is not an invitation for opportunity. And when I say- That's a great line. Policy well, is not that, a great opportunity. Yes. No, no, it is not. It is not. And I say that because it doesn't speak to the person at the lowest tier of understanding. It is not for those who do not understand the lexicon of policy and politics. It is not for those who don't understand the lexicon of health health systems, health care. So how are you telling me that 
you're thinking of me and you're considering me when you don't even present the opportunity for me to understand at the very entry point. I'm going to ask a really difficult question. Do you think your colorness had something to do with your delay in diagnosis? You tell me what you think. You tell me. I'm leaning on the answer being yes. I'm going to say with all due respect, hell yes. 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 And I'll tell you why my mom had me when she was 19 years old. She worked her patootie off. My mom has a master's degree. She is an educated woman, but she also came in to this older Jewish physician with her daughter, who was a a little girl of color. She's a woman of color. And she's saying that these are the things that are happening to her. I absolutely believe bias and stigma was part of the trajectory in my delay of diagnosis. There's no way to navigate away from that, especially when someone as intelligent as you are and these other physicians that are in medical school to understand, here's the symptoms. Here's what this disease looked like. I looked like the symptoms and the disease. The only thing that didn't look like that was my ethnicity. So what have you accomplished in coaching? What can you say is your biggest accomplishment? The viability of this community and this disease. I think that we have created so many wonderful and amazing partnerships where people want to understand what the disease actually looks like in black and brown patients and why it's so severe and why communities of color have not participated in clinical research. The real answer for that is they haven't been asked. That's the biggest elephant in the room is no one's asking because of bias again and stigma. And I think that the partnerships that we have made are a movement. I, we were right on time. I am grateful to serve. As you know, Dr. Larry, I always say that I'm grateful to serve because I work for them. And I, had I not been one of the best lemonade makers that I know, we wouldn't have this colorful lemonade, right? We wouldn't have this other aspect of viable voices. Our community trusts us. So they're more inclined to participate in things that we introduce to them. So we are a huge bridge to close the gap in the inequity that's been presented to this community that's been honestly, recklessly disregarded and endangered by the disease. We know that if you are black or brown, you have a higher likelihood of DSM. We know that a lot of the drugs that are being utilized to manage us are gamble because of research and the lack of participation and development based on black and brown patients. We know that we are a burden on the emergency room system because we are not diagnosed properly. So having this space now to be able to talk about these challenging conversations, but actually have the ability to find resolution, what's better than that? We are the ability for us to find resolution and for other people to know that IBD is a disease of many faces. There's no one size fits all person or approach to this disease. And there's no one size fits all patient either. Well, Melody, I'm sure the listeners are going to be really taken by your story and your passion for what you're doing. So how does somebody contribute to your organization? Thank you for asking that. <laughs> we, we have so many ways to contribute to us. One that I think is the key and the most important, while finances are great, nonprofit organizations need money. The most profitable partnership is those who choose to learn about our community and say, I'm going to make sure we share this community. I'm going to make sure that if I know someone or hear someone who's managing disease, even if they're not black or brown, you know, I want them to understand what these diseases look like. While our focus is on this community, 
we are convener of all in the space of IBD. I want all communities and patients to be well. And at the end of the day, that's the most profitable aspect for us is that people are not delayed and they're aware that that stomach aches for long terms of time are not okay. It's not normal. If any mom, black, white, purple, yellow, whatever can save or dad can save their child from managing disease for 20 years, then we've done the best thing that we can actually do. If anyone is interested in partnering with us financially, they can go to our website, cocci.org. That is cochi.org. Well, this has been very, very enjoyable for me to listen to. You really tell the patient side of the story. I have to thank you, Melody. Thank you for the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on our programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join us.